Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Michael Tannenbaum, the Chief Revenue Officer at SoFi. Uh, thanks for being here, Michael. Thanks for having me. Um, for our listeners, uh, as I mentioned, Michael Tannenbaum is, is SoFi's CRO, responsible for driving successful execution and growth across all of SoFi's core lending products. Um, prior to his current role, he served as SVP of Mortgage and earlier VP of Finance. Michael joined SoFi in 2014 and was involved in loan sales structuring within the Capital Markets Group. Previously, he worked as an associate at Hellman and Freeman in San Francisco, uh, primarily focused on the financial services and technology sectors. And he began his professional career as an analyst at JP Morgan in New York and at New Pacific Consulting in Shanghai. So, so thanks again, uh, Michael. Really appreciate you carving out some time for us. Um, I guess I'll go ahead and kick it off by saying, you know, uh, SoFi was, of course, initially focused on student loans. You know, its name is kind of synonymous with student loans. But in recent years, it's been branching out into other financial products, right? Like personal loans, parent loans, mortgages, life insurance, even wealth management. Um, so do you see this continuing? And, and sort of if so, what other products might we expect to see in the next, say, two to three years? Sure. Well, thanks. And thanks for having me. I think the product extension is important in the sense that we've really focused on a customer base rather than just been a transactional or product company. We're focused on a customer, what we call LTV or lifetime value. And so I think you're seeing the student loan product in, I mean, relative maturity for a new company. Personal loan is a, a product that has, I think, we is probably done more volume and had more success than we anticipated. It's it, the, the customer profile is also pretty interesting and differentiated, and I think that's also a function of the product itself is differentiated. You know, we're doing larger, longer loans that are more similar to a home equity line, and so it, it, I think when you look at where we've been most successful, it's been in kind of newer innovative products where we don't have a ton of bank competition or the, or products that are interesting to our customers that they aren't getting from a bank, where we do most of our mortgage volume is above 80% loan to value or with less than 20% down, which is typically relevant for our kind of core early professional demographic. And so as we expand additional financial products, you should look for them to be in spaces where they're is not already a great product or an efficient product and you know products that are are existing this customer base this early career professionals 25 to 45 uh, person who typically wants services you know in a fast and transparent way um, you know that's where I think we'll extend so a good example where we probably won't go immediately is, is auto where you have kind of a very efficient market very low rates seems to be working fine bank participation and non-bank participation. So, you know, I don't think there's a huge role for SoFi. Um, it's just as an example where, as, as you've noted, we've started to add what you could call, depending on whose balance sheet you're looking at, you know, for us, I think I would just call them fee products. So, you know, insurance or asset management, non-risk products, non-lending. Um, we started to launch some of those. And I think even in the lending space, there's a lot of product extensions in the core student, personal, and mortgage vertical that we're thinking about, as well as potentially loans to professionals like MBAs, right? There's a whole host of use cases where you can imagine MBAs um, go out and start their own business. You know, is that something we want to finance? And that would definitely be 
but sort of is a hybrid between a business and a, and a consumer loan. And I could imagine us making a play there. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, kind of in that same vein, on this topic of sort of new products and product innovation, um, SoFi recently acquired ZenBanks, of course, which is a startup that allows users to save and spend in, in multiple different currencies. Um, so, so where do you see <laughs> where, where do you see ZenBanks fitting into SoFi's kind of larger, long-term strategic vision? So it's you know I think the core product that ZenBanks offered was interesting. It's probably not as relevant to our customer base and focus. So as you talked about, I mean I was joking when I said how fun, but you know it is kind of fun to to save in lots of different currencies, but it's not that applicable to most. Uh, of our customers, most of them want to save right. in U.S. dollars. So there are going to be folks, of course, who have, whether it's family or friends or you know some some need for remittance. And there, there's an international remittance market. And, and ZenBanks was built on the idea that folks that are engaging in international remittance may want to have a bank account, you know, FDIC insured bank account that offers that product and feature. Whereas today, if you're doing international remittance, you're typically not doing it through your bank account. You're sort of transferring money to MoneyGram or to PayPal or Zoom, which you know, PayPal bought, um, and then doing it. And so that what what we became what we found when we were introduced to the company uh, is that they had built a very unique and high quality technology platform and they also had the compliance and infrastructure behind the platform to be able to offer a white labeled um FDIC approved, OCC approved deposit platform. And so, you know, they're offering this with a partner bank, but it's really their technology and, and flow and processes and procedures. So I think that is really where our direction is going, is to is to be able to offer a bank account to our customers that is probably you know, is some has some of the features that people like from the existing. You know, when you think about financial services today, I don't know that there's a ton of people who have lots of problems with their bank accounts, their checking or their savings. But I think there's features such as peer-to-peer -peer payment, international money transfer, which we acquired. Um, you know, some gamification that we can introduce to the product that might make it more exciting and innovative. And it's also you know a chance for us to continue to engage with the customer and build out that broad suite of financial services products that, that you know that we seek to to achieve. Right. So kind of speaking of uh, you you mentioned you know that they have a partnership with a bank and sort of brick and mortar banks, you know banking of course is a you know a highly uh, competitive highly regulated industry. SoFi has been trying to differentiate itself from incumbents in many ways, one of which is by offering these very unique kind of membership perks, right? Like career counseling, happy hours, um, even singles events. Uh, do, do you kind of, in your view, do you think that other lenders will follow suit? Will, will this kind of thing ultimately become the norm? In terms of bank offering or in terms of broadening products? Yeah, I, in, more in terms of banks, banks sort of looking at their relationships more holistically and, and offering all these kind of adjacent products and services that might not yeah. normally be associated with a bank, right? Like, for instance, career coaches. Sure. I think, well, I don't, so I think you will, banks have, in terms of, you know, cross-sell or cross-buy, that's, of course, you know, a natural business decision to try to optimize your existing customers and reduce you know, cost per customer acquisition. So I don't think that 
you know, I think you should expect people to try to build increasing numbers of products. It's something that, you know, banks have been focused on for decades. In terms of the non-lending or even non-financial kind of community benefits that we offer, I think that's very, that's highly unique to SoFi. It's relevant to our brand and it's also existential to the brand, right? I mean, I think we wouldn't, I think if, you know, a bank, a standard bank were to offer career services or were to offer kind of a, a happy hour where people were discussing moving from big law to startups, I don't know that you'd get the same level of engagement as we do at our events. And I think that's because we've built our brand, our service, um, our products around trying to engage this customer base. And so we're able to transcend the awkwardness that you'd probably find if a traditional bank was to offer those types of services, doesn't mean that, you know, they can't try and, you know, they may find success there, but I think it's that, that line of activity is probably more unique to someone like SoFi. Right. Right. Those, those services, what you're saying is are are just more compatible because of this kind of customer centric business that you guys have built already. Um, So I guess the, the the next question I, I had for you was, um, you know, SoFi made headlines recently, um, closed a very large financing round led by Silver Lake. It, it's raised um, lots of capital um, over the past several years. Um, now that you have kind of this war chest, what areas will SoFi be investing in uh, kind of most heavily over the next, say, 12 to 24 months? So I think that you know the the capital raising that we've done and we've been very effective capital raisers which is good i think if you look at our previous round that we did in to the fall 2015 which was the softbank billion dollar round that really changed the game for us you know fintech had especially online lending had a rougher 2016 with some of the changes at lending club and some of the market changes during the year. And SoFi was able to really stand out and I think become a real fintech leader during that time. And a huge part of that was the well-timed capital raise with a really important strategic partner like SoftBank who, you know, they have a long-term view. And I think as you're trying to build something as big and as, uh, you know, powerful and game-changing as SoFi, I think, you know, having someone who's there with you long-term has been really effective. I think the most recent capital raise, you'll see us start to branch out internationally. Um, And I think the the thing that's the capital intensity of SoFi is probably an interesting topic and related to to this topic, which is, you know, the core business is not going to be that intensive and the capital intensive because, you know, SoFi's job is to develop products and then, you know, nurture them on the balance sheet, prove them out, let them mature, prove that the underwriting's working, get investor interest, and then begin to sell them. But the more of that we're doing and the more that we're growing, I mean, it's not that different than a, than a standard company that's, you know, more of a, a cash flow-based business versus a loan sale business. But, you know, other companies are also doing similar things. They run losses as they start to build brands and build reputation and lower costs and gain efficiencies. I mean, we're doing the same thing. It's just the capital intensity of it is a little bit higher. You know, mortgage is a good example. As we were building that out, you know, no one's really interested in buying, you know, a few million dollars of mortgages, right? And and the mortgages that SoFi makes are typically jumbo. You know, those can be as big as a million dollars. So we go and make 50 mortgages, which isn't that many, right? Let's say we're at, you know, 45 million. And so that 45 million for a standard startup is, you know, it's a lot of equity. And so SoFi, to build out the products, 
you know, it had to raise probably more money than some. And I think that's helped us weather, you know, different different challenges. And it's also helped us grow and kind of lead with the balance sheet, which which has really been important to our product development. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, so far it's definitely been um, extremely successful on, on kind of the fundraising front. Um, to that point, you know, I would be interested to kind of hear your general view on the financial technology space broadly defined, broadly speaking. Um, you know, that, that could include marketplace lending, but, but also, um, you know, things like insurance or payments or, or robo-advisory. Because uh, as you mentioned, you know, there was, a, there was a bit of a decline in overall fintech investment last year in, in 2016. Um, uh, I'm wondering, you know, do you see this as a temporary blip or, or is this part of maybe a larger correction? You know, I think it's temporary. I think the, you know, when you look at, and it's interesting because, you know, Warden is going to be a financially literate group. If you look at, I sort of view FinTech today as kind of another cycle of specialty finance. And you've you've had, you know, this isn't the idea of non-bank lending or non-bank financial services kind of emerging and then growing and maturing is, you know, that happens in cycles. And when I, you know, I'm not old enough to necessarily know the detail. I haven't lived through all these cycles, but I've, you know, read about them. And I know there was a time where, you know, Capital One was a GSB startup. And, you know, that's become one of the largest consumer financial services companies out there. And there were other ones like MBNA that got bought by Bank of America. You know, so there's there's a whole right. um, history of sort of people forming, you know, even private equity, right? That as a business model that emerged in the 80s and 90s was its own version of specialty finance, identifying an arbitrage and an opportunity outside of the banking ecosystem where merchant banks that were part of big banks, you know, just weren't getting as aggressive in it. So I think it's, I think fintech it should be viewed in that light, and this is, you know, in the era of online lending and increasing automation, and also, you know, frankly, just more data. Whether it's, you know, FICO or you know the existing infrastructure and how easy it is to access that via APIs and make underwriting decisions, and also kind of other, you know, thoughts and data models and, um, you know, things that SoFi uses like years of experience degree, which is kind of introducing new underwriting frameworks, I think this whole ecosystem is evolving, and I, I sort of look at it in that light. I think it has a lot of momentum, and, you know, there'll be a day where 2016 was sort of an early an early predictor of that, where things aren't as uh, buoyant and sanguine for the market, and, and, you know, some of the weaker players will, you know, sort of trail off, and then it will continue, and it'll probably be even bigger dislocation at some point in the future. And I think, you know, that's why you have to make sure the business makes sense. The financing and liquidity has been thought through. And, you know, there's ultimately kind of a either a positive revenue margin or the hope for it. So that way investors will continue to back something that, you know, by its nature as a startup or or new entrant is probably not going to be as profitable as the existing players. Right. So, so at least in the near term, or maybe even the intermediate term, you, you know, you're still kind of bullish on fintech as a as a sector and and kind of the fundraising climate in that space. Yeah. Is is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess sh- shifting gears a little bit, you know, you, you were Michael, you were featured in the Forbes 30 Under 30 list for finance. Um, last year. 
and would be curious, you know, to, to, to kind of hear what career advice you might have for for Wharton MBAs uh, who are thinking about the next chapter. Um, you know, for, for first years, that might mean the their internship this summer. For second years, that might mean, um, you know, their the full-time job that they're going to. Um, kind of any advice or general tips that you have? Sure. I mean, I think, first of all, you know, those lists are what they are. But um, I think you know, there's a lot of qualified people out there and, you know, it's a combination of the press that SoFi gets, I'm sure, that, you know, has them select someone like myself versus the high number of other people that I'm sure were noteworthy that year. I think the thing for me that's been really important, and I've worked in a few, you know, I've worked in investment bank, which I really liked. Um, I worked in private equity, and then I worked here at SoFi. And I think the important thing is to make sure that you have a mentor or somebody looking out for you. It sounds obvious. I'm not sure if that's typically covered in business school or not, but you really need, I think if you're going to try to take risks and you're going to try to do interesting things, it's very helpful to know that somebody more senior than you, whether it's an advisor or a boss or someone much higher up, um, I think if you have that level of sponsorship, it can make yourself, it, it can be, you know, it, it really it really helps. And I would be looking for that in any position that I was taking out of school or any kind of risk I was going to take to make sure that you have that mandate and someone there, you know, looking out for you. Right, right. Well, uh, you know, that I think we covered a lot of ground here. Um, that's it from my end. Um, I, I want to thank you again for, for, for taking the time to speak with us and for the for our listeners as well. Okay, well, thank you. Yeah, um, uh, really appreciate your time. Um, I think SoFi is doing some really fantastic things and, and looking forward to seeing what you guys kind of have in store over the next few years. Great. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks a lot, Michael. All right, bye now. Thank you.